0: This Scientific American podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, your source for audiobooks and more. Audible.com features more than 100,000 titles, including Kevin Dutton's The Wisdom of Psychopaths, What Saints, Spies, and Serial Killers Can Teach Us About Success, and Richard Panick's The 4% Universe, Dark Matter, Dark Energy, and the Race to Discover the Rest of Reality. Right now, Audible.com is offering a free audiobook and a one-month trial membership to the Scientific American audience. For details, go to audible.com slash Welcome to the Scientific American Podcast, Science Talk, posted on January 23rd, 2013. I'm Steve Mursky. On this episode... I,
1: think I should have stubble. And what sold him on it was like, there's nothing Dexter hates more than to draw his own blood. Um, because it, it's, uh, it's, it's a loss of uh, control. Um, hmm.
0: That's why he has stubble. That's Michael C. Hall. He is, of course, the star of Dexter... And he's everyone's favorite psychopathic serial killer on TV, anyway. He recently spoke with psychologist Kevin Dutton, author of The Wisdom of Psychopaths, What Saints, Spies, and Serial Killers Can Teach Us About Success. They shared the stage at the Rubin Museum of Art here in New York City, which kindly shared the audio of that discussion with us. The third voice that you'll eventually hear is Tim McHenry, the Director of Public Programs and Performance. DeRubin specializes in the art and culture of Himalayan Asia, which is why Buddhist issues come up in the context of the conversation. Here's part one of Dutton and Dexter.
2: Do any of Dexter's qualities actually rub off on you in everyday life? I mean, are you, if there was one, if there was one... In a, in a manner of speaking, I mean, yeah. if, there, if, there was, if there was one, or, 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 or another way of putting it, is there, is there one quality that Dexter has that you could kind of, well, you would like to steal from him and,
1: and have as your own? Yes. I think, I think... Apart uh, killing people. His yeah, capacity, yeah. you know, he's he's remarkably capable in lots of ways, and like I said, the show is fantastical, mm. and there are things he pulls off that are really sure, just yeah. implausible, but... I think what what is the most remarkable about Dexter is his capacity for stress management. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And and I think that's that's because of his ability to, as the heat goes up, his Absolutely. internal temperature goes down. Yeah, he, yeah. He, the the crazier things get, the cooler he feels. He almost craves chaos. He almost uh, he, he seems to attract it, cultivate it, mm. encourage it because it's the only thing that somehow soothes him. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know what, if that really answered your question, but I would like <coughs> to be cooler under pressure. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Well, that's very... It's, it's, it's very realistic, actually, because what you find is it, the more chaotic a situation, the more that psychopaths have to make decisions under pressure... Uh, the better their decision making gets, and uh, so under pressure, and we've seen it with Dexter. Almost as a, a, you know, the more the, the, the pressure builds, the cooler he gets, and that is exactly what you see with psychopaths. It really is, but right. uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's 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 incredible. I think I think also the idea that that Dexter is 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 performing a service for society is very interesting. I think it was the. The writer George Orwell once said that uh, you know, good men sleep soundly in their beds at night because rough men stand ready to do violence on their behalf yes. and, and I think that 's precisely what Dexter is doing. I think he's the, he's, he 's he's, he's the cuddliest of serial killers yeah it? yeah you know? well I, I think all
1: bets would be off in terms of uh, us being on the cusp of an eighth season if Dexter were killing people randomly. Um, the fact that he that he has taken unique responsibility for his mm. darker impulses, arguably, yeah. uh, and is and is killing people who, again, arguably deserve it. Invite us to relish the chance to identify with such mm. a reprehensible person. Mm. Um, but, yeah, you could argue that he's, he's saving more lives than he's, mm. than he's ending, given the kinds of characters well, think, he does in. Well, it's, in, it's interesting. I,
2: I've, I've thought that, actually, you know, our, our, our fascination with serial killers, I think, uh, revolves around our, our, our kind of fear of death. I mean, our imagination um, evolved at root for an intensely practical purpose. It, it evolved to enable us to weigh up the, 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 the outcomes of, of potential uh, life events and to choose the most advantageous path, so to literally see in our mind's eye um, uh, uh, the dangers or the benefits of certain courses of action. Uh, So it's effectively a a very adaptive thing, our imagination. Now, the biggest thing that separates us humans out from from animals is is the biggest fear, is the fear of death, Um, and the fact that we know it's going to happen long before it does. And I think this... Intense, unique fear um, absolutely touches on why we have a fascination with serial killers like Dexter. But I think Dexter stands alone in a certain way. I think the serial killer represents the most implacable embodiment of death that there is. The, 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 the grim reaper, the eyes are without empathy, the intellect without, without heart. The, the serial killer represents a kind of a, um, a death that, uh, that re- doesn't respond to pleas for mercy, that has its own agenda, its own inexorable logic the the kind of the monster in the closet that we feared ever since childhood and I think our fascination with the serial killer in film and literature um, is basically basically predicated on the fact that actually most times the detective wins the monster is caged and put back in his box but actually I think this is one of the reasons why Dexter has been so successful because of course Dexter isn't caged and put back in his box Dexter justifies his freedom by actually being our guardian demon, not our guardian angel, our guardian demon, by actually keeping us, uh, you know, safe at night, and, you know, safe from, 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 from society. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's, that's where... Dexter really bucks the trend, and I think that's why it's so successful. That's why he's such an appealing and alluring character.
1: Yeah, as i familiarized myself to the extent that I did with uh, transcripts of inter- interviews with serial killers and, and things like that, I came to feel that Dexter was singularly unique uh, mm. on that front in, in, in that he kills the kinds of people he kills. And there's this voiceover element that sort of... Uh, makes it a subjective experience when you're watching the show and you're on the ride through his eyes to a degree mm-hmm. um, but um, I don't know that he's the most reliable narrator all the time and I mm-hmm. think if Dexter were really being honest and this was certainly in, in play in the sixth season when he was preoccupied with notions of God and the divine mm, sure. I think if he if he came to any conclusion at the end of that season he's like in my world I'm God mm. Um, so he has a very uh i don 't know machiavellian mm. uh, yeah
2: yeah
1: uh, point of view about himself um, he He keeps it quiet i mean I, again i, I don 't know that uh if if he went went around whispering in the audience ear that he was god that mm. many people would uh like him as much, but I think he actually <laughs> does believe that don 't tell anybody <laughs> yeah. yeah. But
2: I think, I think one of the... Uh, one, I mean, actually, Dexter does fall into quite a well-known category of serial killer. Uh, there's actually four categories of serial killer out there. Um, you've got your visionary killers. Uh, visionary serial killers are people who are psychotic. Now, often psychotic and psychopathic, those two terms are banded around as if they're the same. Actually, they're, they're very, very different folks from a, from a psychological point of view. Uh, when we talk about someone that's psychotic, We're talking about someone who uh, is out of touch with reality. They are uh, seeing uh, visions, hearing delusions and hallucinations and all these kinds of things. And so visionary serial killers tend to respond to psychotic messages, um, to commands from God. Okay, So that's one kind of uh, serial killer. Uh, Another kind of serial killer is uh, the hedonistic kind of serial killer. Now, this is actually the most common kind. Uh, Hedonistic serial killers... Uh, tend to kill for the pleasure of killing, and they can be divided into three types. You've got lust killers who kill for sexual gratification. Uh, you've got thrill ca- uh, killers who, who kill basically for, the, for the, uh, the, the, the thrill they get out of tracking down and slaying their prey. And then you've got comfort killers who kill uh, for material gain. The third uh, c- uh, category is power seekers. Power seekers kill for the control that they have over their victims. Now, they often sexually abuse their victims, but in a different way from the lust killers. They use sexuality as a way of controlling their victims. And then finally, we come to the fourth category, which are the missionaries. The missionary serial killers are those killers who, very much like Dexter, pre-select a kind of a specially uh, designated group. It could be either prostitutes or... Um, uh, ethnic or religious minorities or indeed people who have done wrong. Uh, a group that in their own mind, in their own logical world, they think uh, deserve uh, to die and they are the ones who they, they feel it's incumbent upon them to clean up society. Um, so this kind of compartmentalising acts as a, a conscience disabler Mm-hmm. And I see that that's very 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 prevalent with, with dexter, and I think that the fact that he 's becoming perhaps less maybe less psychopathic things go on if we can say that i think it 's very realistic actually because maybe he 's actually becoming a little bit more in touch with that you know?
1: Yeah. what 's really troubling is is it 's really dexter 's um, emergence as a less psychopathic more traditionally human person mm. or uh, that's getting him and the people in his life into trouble mm. you know it's it's um well that's not a very happy thought either but um, <laughs> I think we've discovered we're not talking about happiness <laughs> here, <can we? laughs> but there yeah there is there is something uh something about him that that i would you know people often ask me. Is it, is, it a, is it a difficult proposition for mm. you to simulate sure. these things? And, um, you know, you do whatever kind of internal alchemy mm. you do. Uh, I, I'm not really compelled to kill people, thankfully, mm. but I am compelled to do things, so I, I think about that and, mm. and filter it that way. But, um, yeah, there is, there is something very attractive about someone who is as decisive as he is, mm. who is not preoccupied with what other people might think mm. about what mm. he's doing, sure. um, Who is um, and who is very, very uh, supremely focused, mm. and um, his capacity to be in and of his moment mm. is uh, phenomenal. I think
2: you touched on a really good point there. I think that actually, um, our fascination with psychopaths is, is actually, should be, should be distinguished from our fascination with serial killers. I think there's two different things going on here. Um, Whenever I ask someone if I could turn you into a psychopath for half an hour um, uh, with total impunity, so anything you do within that half an hour, the slate will be wiped clean at the end of it. You'll have no regret, you'll have no remorse, anything like that. The thing that most people, their answers fall into two categories it either falls into they would visit terrible recriminations on people that have done them wrongs down the years, or they would declare their undying affection uh, for some unrequited love that's, you know, down the years that they've never had the summoned up the courage to be able to do. Now, the key is without impunity. You know, you have to be able to do it without impunity. And, of course, what you just said there, Michael, is absolutely true. Uh, The thing which separates out the psychopath, the one defining feature, folks, that separates out the psychopath from most normal members of the population, is the fact that they just don't give a damn what people think of them. They don't give a damn how they appear to their fellow citizens, okay? Now, I think in a world in which our behaviour is becoming under ever-closer scrutiny, in the UK, I don't know what the story is over in the US, but there's, it's now one closed-circuit TV camera for every 20 people. And what is it now? Two, two billion people on Facebook, something like that? We're, our behaviour is so much scrutinised these days, and I think... That we got psychopath envy. I think we kind yep. of we kind of envy psychopaths. That's 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 a kind of a, 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 a steal on a Freudian term. I'm sure you probably know, but it's um it, it, we envy psychopaths. They're fertile libertine imaginations. And I think you're absolutely right. That's exactly what Dexter can do. He can he can just behave as if he's not phased by anything. And I think that's really part of his part of his appeal. I was going to ask you a question, actually. When you when you act as Dexter. Yeah. Do you do anything to get yourself into a kind of a psychopathic frame of mind? Do you do you actually do you do you psychopath up
1: before you before you go on? Um, it's 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 more about what I what I maybe empty you know I mm. I, I, I I'm invited to to be without. Um, any preoccupation with uh, my authenticity, or as an actor, um, mm. it, it was an interesting challenge initially to play the character because he claimed to be without the capacity for authentic sure. human and yeah. emotion, and as actors, we're preoccupied with authentically presenting something. Mm. So it, it sort of freed me up to stop yeah. worrying about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if you did I, a good, you did and, a good job. Yeah. Uh, and if yeah. I and I <laughs> and it, if I feel like I'm acting, that's fine. Yeah. Because yeah, I, yeah. I am. You yeah. know. And and, uh, and 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 it freed me up to be to take off the sort of cloak of perpetually rotating yeah. eyeballs that are taking in information sure. and yeah, um, yeah. you know mono, uh, causing me to modify how I behave and just not caring. Yeah, mean, yeah. That was that was a nice invitation. Yeah. In a way. Well, I was uh, going to uh, ask. As you know. far as, as far as what I do, uh, if I put on that kill suit, that kind of does the job. Yeah. yeah. I just looking yeah. myself yeah. in the mirror. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and the, uh, the, 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 that kind of cellophane rap. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: okay. Yeah, um, I walk into that room and think, wow, I did all of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> do you, do you find it works? It, does it leak the other way around? Do you find that when you've played Dexter, mm-hmm. actually, you know, there's a kind of a cooling off period where you kind of, you know, somebody got your 10 minutes like after you came off set. They'd have to be pretty careful what they said to you. I think, it?
1: it depends on what, uh, I was shooting or simulating that day. You right, know, the days okay. where I'm, where I'm, playing scenes where Dexter is managing uh, difficult logistical situations or hiding in one way or another. uh, I probably am more stressed at the end of those days than I... I'm never uh, Mm. uh, more free and light uh, than after I've pretended to kill someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Glad you say that. Pretended. 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 A word. No, yeah, am, yeah,
2: that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think the other thing you, you, you just mentioned there about Dexter is the fact that uh, as well as, you know, not caring, not giving a damn what people, what people think about him, you also mentioned uh, the fact that it was a good insight into the character that, that he's also very decisive. Um, and actually, when you look at psychopaths in everyday life, uh, they actually are very decisive. And uh, I'll give you an example of this in in 2011, last year, I, I uh, launched something called the Great British Psychopath Survey. And we're now rolling this out in the States. It's now called the Great American Psychopath Survey. And uh, what, uh, what happened was uh, participants who wanted to take, take part in it were directed onto my website, uh, where, which is www.kevindutton.co.uk. Uh, just thought I'd slip that in. Um, uh, and so you could all take part in it. Um, and they, uh, they, they, they uh, filled out a questionnaire online and, uh, which told them how psychopathic they were, uh, and that wasn't all, though. They also entered their employment details. So what I wanted to know was, what was the UK's most psychopathic profession? Okay. <laughs> Okay, and what was its least psychopathic profession? Well, the results were a real eye-opener. Number one was blood spatter expert, actually, funny enough. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't really. Okay, number one was CEOs, okay? Uh, number two were... I'm just going off the top of my head now. Number two were lawyers. Uh, number three were media, radio and TV kinds of people. Uh, very interestingly, number seven were clerics, church people, okay? So, or maybe not so surprisingly... Okay. That's a
1: question? Yeah. The media, is that like talking heads, like broadcasters, Ex- things like that? that well, it Not was, people who act on it.
2: That's them. exactly right, yeah. Was, <laughs> no, 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 not, not, not actors. No, 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 not actors, not actors. I just wanted to clarify. No, 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 that's absolutely right. We didn't, we didn't get enough of those responding, actually. No. <laughs> but, uh, but, but the point is that actually, Michael, what you find is, you find that actually any kind of situation, uh, surgeons were in there, by the way, and I'll come back to that in a minute. Surgeons were in there at number six. Um, any kind of situation in which you've got an organisational hierarchy, where you've got a kind of a power dynamic, where you've got a situation where you have to think under pressure and make decisions quickly, psychopaths tend to do very well in those situations. Now, the surgeon—I I interviewed a, a, a top British neurosurgeon who was uh, very high along the psychopathic spectrum. Uh, absolutely, he really was, and. Um, you know, it, it, does, it does kind of make you a bit, uh, bit scared, but actually all come, it all slots into place when, when you think about the, the characteristics that you need to be, to be a surgeon. He said that actually, you know, when you're operating, um, and he actually likened neurosurgery to um, uh, the, the margin of error as being between two crucial capillaries in the brain as being like the margin of error uh, uh, for a sniper, between taking a headshot, between like a, a hostage and a hostage taker. He says, you know, you need to be very focused, exactly like Dexter. You need to be ruthless. You need to be fearless. You can't have too much empathy for what you're doing. But, uh, but number one, you need to be decisive. A top surgeon needs to be decisive in a situation where things go wrong. They cannot dither. Whether they make the right decision or the wrong decision is kind of secondary, yeah. but they have to make a decision. And so I think that's another thing. That Dexter really epitomizes.
1: He is very decisive. Yeah, yeah, and I think attractive as a result. Psychopath envy again. I mean, he's yeah, he's no Hamlet, you know. Mm. And uh, yeah, and uh, yeah. Next, if I ever have to have brain surgery, I'll just bring your survey and and have them fill it out. Whoever scores highest—that's
2: that's uh, that's absolutely right. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 But um, it also, I think it's. um, it's uh, one of going back to the um, back to the, uh, the the lizard brain and the ability to uh, to detect uh, kind of weaknesses. Um, there's a there's a Buddhist uh, connection here with this with um, with the, the theatre that we're in. Psychopaths we know are also very good. This is kind of related at telling the difference between truth tellers and liars. Mm. Okay, we know that they have an enhanced ability to tell the difference between people who are telling the truth, and people who are telling lies. Um, we also know that uh, another group of people who are very good at that are expert Buddhist monk meditators, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, uh, we think they, that they're good at this for different reasons. The expert Buddhist monk meditators are able to, to kind of slow down their perceptual processes to pick out something called micro-expressions. Now, micro-expressions are lightning changes in facial scenery which the brain kind of downloads onto our face before it kind of um, you know, presents the real uh, picture that it wants the world to see. Now, it seems that expert Buddhist meditator monks are extremely good at picking out these micro-expressions, uh, which are there when we tell lies, but which aren't visible to most of our naked eyes. Psychopaths, we think, we don't know for certain, are very good at this, because they are the ultimate social predators. When they say something to you, they are scrutinizing your reaction to it, to see if they've kind of pushed a button or not. That's our theory. But anyway, I just came back from India, where I actually... We had the Olympic Games in London. I wanted to hold a kind of a world championship of mind, a world championship uh, in cold reading. So I pitched a bunch of uh, Buddhist expert monk meditators who live high in the Himalayas uh, against a bunch of psychopathic killers <laughs> on a test of cold reading. Here's how I did it. You know, do you have these pleader videos over here in the, in the US. The pleader videos are when you get... Yeah. Um, people who are, it's organized by police press conferences. You get people who are appealing to the general public for information about the whereabouts of their loved ones. Do you have that over in the US? Okay. Well, and we know, we know that some of them have done it themselves, right? We know that Dexter would be after some of those people, okay? Right, right. And we know that some of them are genuine. So I got 20 of these pleader videos. And basically, I went to the high Himalayas, uh, to these remote monks' cabins, and I basically said to them, tell me who's telling the truth. Tell me which are the genuine ones and tell me which are the fake ones. Uh, and um, I, I can't tell you the results of the study, but they were very, very interesting. I also went to a bunch of psychopaths and said, tell me who's telling the truth and telling, uh, tell me he's telling lies. And compared, the study's called Punks versus Monks, by the way, okay? okay. <laughs> I, I like that. I'll never be able to get away with it. But um, it's very interesting. That I, What I will say, I won't tell you who won, But I will tell you that psychopaths were way, way above average, right in accordance with the Dexter hypothesis, at picking out the people who were lying uh, against the people who were telling the truth. So I think if I gave Dexter those 20 pleader videos, he would be scoring way above average at that, I think. That's, again, that kind of lizard brain thing, picking out vulnerability.
1: That's fantastic. I mean, someone who dedicates their lives to cultivating a a sense of detached compassion mm-hmm. and someone has this just naturally occurring mm. version of what might be the same thing yeah yeah they seem the opposite ends of some spectrum and yet
2: yeah they are i it's almost like they're it's almost like they're they're psychopaths are here and buddhist expert buddhist monks are here and they're kind of opposite sides of the bearing straight of personality, you know, the psychopaths are on this kind of tip of Alaska, and the, 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 the Buddhist monks are on this tip of uh, of, of, of Russia, right. and they're, st- they're so near to each other, and yet they're so far, they're separated by this kind of international right. psychological dateline of compassion, it would be, right. you know, like, and, and, but they're actually, still, they're very, very close in terms of laboratory tasks, but, but actually, uh, you know, for, for completely different reasons, Michael, you know.
1: Yeah, maybe one, one, one is, is expert in, in tolerating the awareness of a perpetual sense of compassion mm. and the other ones just don't have it.
2: I, well, I, think, I actually think that's, that's, that's my scientific hypothesis, actually. Uh-huh. But there's other, there's other similarities between psychopaths and, and, and Buddhist monks. Again, talking about that emotional detachment. Um, both actually make more money uh, if you set up mock investment games, okay? Mm. Now, imagine if I, if I said to you, um, I've got some money and I'm going I'm to split it with you, okay? But, but you have to accept what I give you, okay? So let's say I've got 100 bucks, okay? Uh, a fair offer would be 50-50. Okay, I've got 50, I'll give you 50, okay? You might accept that. But what most people start doing is they start kind of not accepting it as soon as I start saying, I've got 70 and you're going to have 30. That's the kind of level at which people start saying, no, I don't think I'll accept that, normal people like us. But what you find is that psychopaths actually aren't bothered by that kind of uh, unfairness, that imbalance. All they're interested in, what makes a psychopath happy, is instant reward, instant gratification. That's one of the things. So they don't care what the other person gets. They just focus on what they can get. Rather counterintuitive, actually. Buddhist monks have been shown to do, expert Buddhist monks do exactly the same. But they, for a completely different reason, they're just happy that the other person's getting more. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> so that's a completely different reason. You just put your finger, you've just put your finger right on it. Whereas, you know, the psychopaths are just interested in what the hell they're getting. The Buddhist monks are more, more. You know, they're right. just happy the other person's getting more. So there are these real similarities between between Buddhists and psychopaths. And psychopaths. What makes psychopaths happy? Do you see what I'm doing there, folks? Slipping that word in, happy there? <laughs> okay. What makes psych, two things make psychopaths happy. One is instant reward, and the other is control. Okay, and I think that's something which is also epitomized in Dexter, that psychological need for control. Yeah. I think, as an actor, do you think that's, that, that's, that's something? Absolutely.
1: That he, I mean, you see it in, in, in the career he's chosen. Sure. He's, he's creating a sense of order out of apparent mm. chaos when yeah. he shows up on a crime Absolutely. scene with blood yeah. splattered everywhere and he can figure out. Yeah. What happened, and answer seemingly unanswerable questions, mm. and I think, yeah, in his uh hobby or his night yeah. job or whatever mm-hmm. you call it uh, <laughs> he 's doing the same thing uh, um, even even the way he as i as I justified to myself, you know why he he um, does things the way he does in terms of covering a room with plastic, I mean he, he wants to. He wants to control the inevitable chaos that will come when he dismembers someone and their blood flows everywhere. He's Mm. all about controlling chaos and Mm. that really fuels him. Um, Mm. I even, you know, after uh, doing Six Feet Under, I was clean shaven every day Mm. for uh, five years and Mm. I was tired of shaving. Mm. And uh, the producers were like, well, it's a serial. I mean, you should be very meticulous and you should be clean shaven. I said, "Ah, I think I should have stubble. And what sold him on it was like, there's nothing Dexter hates more than to draw his own blood, um, because it, yeah, it's yeah, uh, yeah. it's it's a loss of uh, control. Um, hmm. That's why he has stubble. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I think it think All also, goes back to control.
2: Yeah. But also the, uh, the, the, uh, the collecting the, uh, the blood slides as well. Mm. I mean, that's all about literally putting things in a box. That's all about putting these, these kind of victims' identities in a box. And I think.
1: Yeah, this, this, this insane, yeah. like finding a victim, that's tracking exactly the victim, right. that's, killing the victim, yeah, cutting yeah. them to pieces. It's all represented in this. Absolutely you know, right. That whole experience yeah. is encapsulated. And I think there was
2: a scene in one of the one of the episodes where I actually he dropped the blood slides, and yeah. it went all over the floor, and yeah. that really that really did freak him out, didn't it? Yeah, kind it did. In, it, in
1: fact, I, I, it was it was a point of contention with the writers because they they put it in there, oh. and it was it was basically they'd put it there to get to uh, from point A to point B mm. storytelling wise and it was sort of written as if it were something incidental. And yeah. I said to them, no, this is as, as yeah, traumatic yeah. a thing yeah. as Absolutely, as it very happen, powerful yeah. scene, very yeah. powerful scene. And
2: uh, I think what Dexter has, folks, when we talk about a psychopath, uh, you know, no, no sooner is the word out than images of, as I said, Ted Bundy and Jeffrey Dahmer come, you know, creeping across our minds. But actually, when we talk about a psychopath, we talk about someone with a distinct set of uh, psychological characteristics now these uh, characteristics are ruthlessness, fearlessness mental toughness coolness under pressure uh, intense focus uh, on what they're doing if they can stand to benefit out of it if they're getting something out of it and also a sublime lack of empathy and conscience okay? now sometimes that can be localised people can have localised psychopathy uh, in terms of like either their profession or, or what Dexter's doing Um, But the one thing, now if you think about all those traits I've just said as the dials on a studio mixing desk, okay, this kind of puts it in perspective. If you have all of those dials cranked up to max, and you have that as your default setting, then you overload the circuit, okay, you wind up getting 30 years inside, okay. But if you turn some of them high and some of them down low, become, uh, as it were, a method psychopath as opposed to a method actor, Mm -hmm. then you are predisposed to great success in certain professions. Now, the one dial which seems to make the difference between a successful psychopath, a functional psychopath like Dexter, and criminal dysfunctional psychopaths, is the impulsivity dial. Now, criminal psychopaths, unsuccessful psychopaths, tend to have that dial turned all the way up. They cannot delay their gratification. They want it, and they want it now. But successful functional psychopaths have that impulsivity dial turned down low on the graphic equalizer. And that seems to be the big difference between the two. Now,
1: that's what Dexter has turned down
2: quite yeah, low. Dexter
1: that, is not impulsive, is he? Yeah, and that's something that his father cultivated in him yeah. through the code and everything yeah, like that. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, I think Dexter has actually gotten played faster and loose, looser mm. with that impulsive... Mm. Impulsivity and those dials, and it's yeah. it's what gets him into hot water. That, yeah, he's, yeah. that he's, a, he's much less disciplined than than he was when we first met him. Mm-hmm. Um, necessarily, just to move things forward and yeah, make them yeah, interesting, yeah. but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And it also links up with with, uh, with uh, we're talking about what makes you know psychopaths successful. it successful. Also links up with intelligence, and it also links up with uh, whether you're naturally violent. Now. If, you, if you've got those traits and you are naturally violent and you are naturally stupid, um, <laughs> actually, your prospects aren't exactly great, to be perfectly honest with really. you. You're going to end up smashing a bottle over someone's head and you're going to w- end up in prison very, very quickly. But if you have those traits and you're not naturally violent and you're also very intelligent, then uh, Reuters once ran a very uh, very famous funny headline, then you're more likely to make a killing in the market than anywhere else. Okay. Right now is Vi- is dexter naturally violent? Does he have an aggressive streak in him? do you think He yes. can certainly fight well, can't he? I mean, I remember the scene I mean where he's he, yeah. remarkably capable yeah.
1: yeah you know there's there are all kinds of scenes we don't see. He has the power to turn himself into uh, smoke
2: yeah okay.
1: um,
2: <laughs> he can uh, that dial's not on the mixing desk yeah.
1: he can lift the, anyway yeah uh, but <laughs> I, feel, I feel that when he's firing on all cylinders, mm. when he's behaving efficiently, when he is in, in the midst of whatever the arc of his tracking someone and, mm. and, and killing them, when, when that's happening, no. But when he's coming up against something, mm. then yes. I mean, I, we see him in, in the seventh season um, – uh, I think at the beginning of the third episode, um, fantasizing, uh, mm. violently taking people out of the post office, and, mm. and, and because he's he's under under some sort of pressure. So yeah. I think yeah, when yeah. that happens, uh, when when he doesn't uh, have have uh, have a way to. Exercise his his violent impulses mm. in a controlled way then mm. he risks losing control sure well I, I think that's also
2: very accurate because whenever you whenever i 'm around psychopaths, um, one of the things that, that you you notice is that actually psychopathic violence is is very what we call instrumental okay so whenever you say to people whenever I say to people well you know i I, I go into uh, dangerous and severe personality disorder units of maximum security hospitals and, and prisons. Um, what people and People's initial reaction is to say, well, that's got to be one of the most dangerous places on Earth, right? Um, well, actually, you've got some of the most dangerous people on Earth in there, but actually what's more dangerous are the psychotic units uh, where you've got people who are schizophrenic who uh, a, a little bit like the, the visionary serial killers I was talking about earlier who respond to uh, voices and see hallucinations um, uh, or alter egos commanding them to kill. That kind of unit is very unpredictable. The violence is very sporadic, is very unpredictable, even though it's con- that can be controlled to some extent by, by drug therapy. When you go into a psychopath unit, uh, actually things are very ordered because mm. a psychopath won't be violent to you um, unless there is a direct purpose for that. Now, let's say that, you know, you've got, a, you know, a hundred bucks, okay, which I gave you earlier, okay? Right? Let's say that I want it. Um, if I'm a psychopath, I'm not going to, you know, assault you straight away. I might try to talk it out of you. Then I might try to, if that doesn't work, I might try to steal it off you. And if I really want it and that doesn't work, then I'm, if I'm naturally violent, then I might use violence. The violence isn't unpredictable, it's very instrumental and very focused towards a goal. So when you go into a, a dangerous and severe personality disorder unit, you find everything in order, because actually psychopaths have pretty much got everything they want in these units. You know, So there's no reason for them to be violent. And if they are violent, or if they, if they do have cause to be violent, you can kind of see it coming a lot of the time. So I think Dexter's violence, as he was saying, there's a goal towards it. Again, it's very psychopathic, very accurate. There's that... Instrumentalness to it, I think.
1: That way. is very encouraging to hear.
2: Yeah, yeah, uh, truly, because I,
1: because you know we we, we the the character yeah. I'm playing now, yeah, in in a lot of ways is is so far removed from the character I understood Dexter to be when we started. Yeah, um, so to 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 hear from you that we've. Managed to maintain some sort of authenticity as oh, yeah. far as his psychopathy goes. That's yeah. that's encouraging. Yeah,
2: yeah, he's a, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a developing psychopath. I don't know about the, the turning things into smoke. I don't know, but we'll have to, we'll no. have to see how it goes in the yeah. in the next series. That's level five. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never yeah. seen that one before. Yeah,
1: but, um, shapeshifters.
0: That's it for part one. Kevin Dutton's book is called "The Wisdom of Psychopaths: What Saints, Spies, and Serial Killers Can Teach Us About Success." you can get it as your free audiobook by taking advantage of the offer at www.audible.com/siam we'll be right back with part 2